Fuelful Warriors, episode 55. Somebody who gets shit done. It's all down to hustle. A sacrifice of their being and way of life. We think of 300, we think of the Spartan. Sort of the courage and conviction to face their challenges in life. It always does the right thing at all costs. Poetic voice, Seiku Andrew. The biggest challenge for a warrior is probably the word peace. What's going on, everybody? Timothy Lawson here, host of Fuel for Warriors, a podcast collaboration between Lawson Entertainment and Lock and Load Java. This week on the podcast, I have Seiku Andrews, who is a poetic voice. He is a inspiring and motivating person. I've seen TED Talks. I've heard him on podcasts. Um, he and after speaking with him, I'm even more. Uh, motivated by his message, by his passion, by his energy, and I know you're really going to enjoy our conversation uh, with him. We recorded this back in August. There was a delay on, uh, there was a delay in releasing it, and then I had a delay on my end on releasing it. Finally getting it out now, at the end you'll hear Seku mentioned a webinar that he is hosting um, that is in September. Obviously, that has passed. Don't worry, he is doing another one uh, October 18th, Tuesday, October 18th, uh, and that is still available. If you're interested in that, check out the show notes of this podcast. I have the link there. You can also follow Seku uh, at Seku Andrews. Um, He's an, he's an incredible human being, and if anything that he talks about in this podcast interests you, I highly encourage you to check out that webinar and, uh, and, and get involved with what he's got going on. Fuelful Warriors is going to take a short hiatus in October. This will be the only release. Uh, we're going to take the month of October off while we sort of gather some new interviews and sort of reevaluate our position and who we want, you know, where we want to reach out. I know Lock and Load Java has some new things going on. We're going to let them catch up with themselves as well. So when you see silence in October, fret not. We will be right back, uh, hopefully in November. So. Stay subscribed, stay following us uh, on Twitter. I'm at TimLawson21, and uh, they are at Lock and Load Java. So uh, I'll let Carl Churchill, co-founder of Lock and Load Java, say a few words, and then we'll get to my interview with Seku Andrews. Enjoy. Hey, Warriors, this is Carl Churchill, co-founder and chief coffee officer of Lock and Load Java. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our friend and fellow veteran Tim Lawson as he interviews risk takers who've embraced the warrior ethos. I know you'll love our guest today. And when you're finished with the episode, head over to lockandloadjava.com and use the coupon code FUELFORWARRIORS to receive a 10% discount on our premium coffee and cocoa. Stay motivated, my friends, and keep challenging yourself. All right, Warriors, with me this week, I have, as he says, a poetic voice, Seku Andrews. Sir, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here, man. I went to your LinkedIn page to see, like, I wonder wonder what title he gives himself, because I know you're a very uh, talented person, and I like that I saw that you were poetic voice. That's right, and you actually, you're one of the few people that has nailed that out of the gate, so that's pretty impressive, because most people are like, ah, slam, word guy, hip-hop, speaker, <laughs> dude, what do you do? 
so that's pretty good. Hip hop speaker dude, I think should be on LinkedIn. <laughs> Put that on your resume. I just took it down. I just took it down. <laughs> so, thank you. I originally heard you on the Tim Ferriss show. Uh, Tim Ferriss admires you very much, and the segment that was on his podcast was very inspiring. I thought you would make a great fit for this show. I reached out to you. We had we had an interview scheduled. I bailed, unfortunately. I think there was a scheduling conflict, or I had I don't know an exam or whatever whatever lame excuse I had. Uh, this interview today almost didn't happen because of technical <laughs> issues, but we got it working, and I'm very excited to get into this. The first question of every interview that I say, can we start with uh, what it means to be a warrior? This is fuel for warriors. A lot of the, the audience members really resonate with that, that idea. They're in a community or they're in this industry where that that the warrior ethos is is true. To you, when you think of what it means to be a warrior, what, what comes to mind? You couldn't be asking the question to a more perfect person because my very name means warrior. <laughs> well, how about that? <laughs> Seku actually, uh, it, it means warrior. It's a, it's a West African name, and it means, uh, depending on the uh, the language, it means either learned or wise or warrior. And so, you know, my parents were, were prophetic in that sense. Um, and, and also, I'm, I'm a child of warriors. You know, my parents were... Both, you know, I'm a Berkeley baby, so I, I came from Berkeley revolutionaries that were fighting against, you know, racism and social injustices and, and fighting for social causes, and they taught me to do the same. So I really believe that, I mean, the truest sense of a warrior is just someone who is unafraid to fight for what you believe in and who lives by that, um, you know, in whatever that is, whether it's an internal fight or an external fight, and it can be both. You know, honestly, I, I feel like uh, the biggest challenge for a warrior is probably the word peace, you know, being at peace with the word peace and figuring out what that means for you. Because, you know, if you're a warrior, if you're if you're a born soldier, like you're born and bred to fight, you know, I, I think about relationships that I've been in and so forth and not necessarily fighting in the relationship, but fighting for relationships. I've always been a person that fights for the relationships, the people that mean the most to me, the causes that mean the most to me. And so the challenge becomes, you know, when I'm supposed to be at peace with surrendering something with releasing something you know i'm also a martial artist and so you know uh learning how to avoid of all the all the all the martial artists out there um you know learning how to avoid or or prevent a fight is often um the most important lesson and the most challenging lesson for you as a fighter um and the most training uh, most important training that you can have you know so it's like fighting cancer versus preventing cancer you know or fighting you know, love, uh, you know, versus surrendering to love, you know, fighting convention versus innovating. So I think it's an interesting word that we that we battle with in that fight. But I think the true warriors, we just have that fight in us. And we know that we're in, in a moment's notice. You say the word and we're the soldier for you. I like that you, um, man, I just lost my train of thought. Where was I? <laughs> man, you man, you had me so deep into thinking what you were taught was like, man, oh, I do that to people. You know? Yeah, like I was like, I'm gonna ask him this question, but I was like, that man, he's he's really got a point here. I need to, I need to, I need to listen. Um, that's probably the most difficult part about being a podcast host, right? Is as a listener, you don't want to always just be waiting for your turn to talk, but you always want to be prepared with the next question. Right. Um, and it's difficult to sort of find that balance. You mentioned you're a martial artist. I've had several MMA fighters, UFC fighters on the show. Um, other people that practice martial arts. What what do you practice? Uh, I practice Sansu now. 
which is a style of kung fu. Um, you know, I came up. Martial arts is really the the only thing that I've ever loved to do athletically with my body. Like, uh, you know, I did sports and a few things here and there um, as a kid. But, you know, I, then I discovered Taekwondo and I fell in love with that because every kid, you know, at some point in your life, you kind of somebody's going to drag you to a karate class or a Taekwondo class, um, you know, and you, and you kick high and you break the board and that's cool, you know. And then um, and then I discovered Kung Fu and I, I fell in love. I studied Wushu, Shaolin Wushu for uh, for several years through high school and practiced a bit after high school and then dropped it. And um, in my adult life, I rediscovered Kung Fu, but um, a style that I really liked called Sun Tzu. You are now, I should say, um, you know, as we mentioned, the main reason why I contacted you, I heard you on Tim Ferriss, because of your poetic voice, you're a public speaker, you're an inspirer, you are whatever synonym you want to give to that. And it's something that I truly admire. I think that public speaking is one of the most difficult uh, skills to acquire. And even if you're born with it, super difficult to master and feel comfortable with and to use effectively. Yeah. Um, bring us back to maybe the like your first – it doesn't be your first performance, but like that time of your life when you just started getting into it um, and what it was about it that made you fall in love with it. Well, so there's two there's – two, uh chapters or two stories to that journey um you know one was was poetry itself um and i came to poetry through the door of uh hip-hop and acting you know i was a musician songwriter uh mc music producer chasing record deals and i was uh um, i was an actor um that was chasing hollywood and i started to have more opportunities in music and so through through high school, through uh, college, and beyond, I started chasing record deals, making demos, you know, going to conferences, the whole bit, performing, um, and I always had this response from you know record labels that was like, oh, we love we love your lyrics. I listen to them every day on the way to, to you know to work, um, but it's not the hip hop formula enough. It's not shoot 'em up, bling bang bang, you know, all that um, to to sell to uh the record label and so then i started going to open mics to build a fan base for my music on my own and that was the entrepreneur in me just like you know okay well if the model's not out there for me then i'll create it and so started going um to, to poetry open mics and i would always bring my acting experience and my music experience into the way i delivered uh my spoken word and so i just had a bit more of a unique delivery of it and it was a hit and it took off and suddenly i found myself falling in love with uh, spoken word and getting more excited about the idea of pioneering new trails for uh, the spoken word industry than, than, you know, being tossed into the sea of demos and headshots out there trying to chase those same crumbs. So then that began, that was really what, what catapulted the, uh, the poetry journey. So I was, a, I was a fifth grade teacher at the time and um, quit my job and decided to become a full-time poet. And in the process of doing that, I began to do poetry for businesses. And this is where the entrepreneur and the businessman in me began to really shine. And as I began to kind of realize that I had the ability to distill dense business content in poetic form. And uh, Nike was my first client. And I started doing some, uh, some Nike poems for, uh, for various uh, brands and franchises within the Nike um, organization. And it got good to me. And I found myself going, oh, this is a great way to – you know, pioneer this. This is what I was looking for, uh, looking for in terms of t something to monetize and a way to kind of push 
uh, spoken word into a new industry and create a new user experience for it. But the challenge was I was still being relegated as an entertainer. And yet they were telling me we got incredible business value from you, even more so than, some, than many of our speakers. And that's what I realized that, once again, I had to sort of transform myself and really uh, create something new that didn't exist. I couldn't just use this word, spoken word, poet, and I couldn't just use speaker. I had to recognize that I was somewhere in the middle. And so that's what inspired me to create Poetic Voice as an actual speaking category that seamlessly blends inspirational speaking and spoken word poetry together. That's brilliant. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, real quick, as a hip-hop fan, I have to ask, who are a couple MCs that you, you're enjoying right now? Oh, man. Well, okay. So are we talking about right now or are we talking about forever? Because, well, you know, the list could go on. But Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah just, just a couple names that you're, you're feeling right now. Or maybe a couple names that you've been dedicated to. Like, you'll always listen to their stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, um I'm a big De La fan. Um, I'm a big Roots fan. I think Black Thought is amazing from the Roots. Um, I'm a big uh, Nas and Jay-Z fan. Um, you know, on the commercial side, I think Drake is a dope lyricist. You know, hmm. there's, not too many, um, there's not too many commercial cats that I'm impressed with lyrically. But, you know, Drake's one of those cats that I listen to. You know, if you, if you can make me say, oh, I get it in your lyrics, then to me, that's yeah. a poet, you know. Um, so, yeah, so those are a couple of names that I listen to. But, I mean, I, you know, I mean, Kendrick, of course, is just incredible. Like, the, the list could go on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I, think my, I think a list of mine would be similar. Yeah. Plus, I, would add, I have to add Slaughterhouse. And Slaughterhouse. Oh, dude. That is a yeah. lyricist, lyricist album right there. A group. Yeah, that's right. right. Uh, amazing. When you, when you perform, like I watched, I watched a couple of your TED Med performances, and the one that I, that I really appreciated uh, the most was one that you paired up with, uh, with another gentleman, and it was uh, – it was, it was Sim- like it was, you guys were in sync, and you guys were beating <laughs> off each other. I can't remember that. I, I I had I had his name pulled up right before yeah. we had to like reboot and stuff. But um, that performance was really amazing in how well timed and the energy and everything. Maybe not for something like that, but in general, like how often, how many times are you practicing a performance before it goes live? Um, how many times am I practicing? Yeah, so I I did a TEDx event uh, what just a couple of years ago, and I swear I, it was an eight minute talk, yeah. and I had to have done it front to back at least thirty five times, oh, and that's just front to back, you know? Yeah, I you mean. got you. How like how like how how much rehearsal goes into the actual individual presentation? Exactly, got you. Okay, so uh, it 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 varies a lot, and it's changed a lot. Um, obviously, as I've just gotten better and better about what I do. Um, or, or, or at what I do, I should say, um, when I'm working within, you know, whether I'm working within my, my sweet spot versus whether I'm challenging myself to do something different. So if we look at, say, Ted Meds, for example, since you mentioned those, um, I, I was the only speaker that was invited back to all five Ted Meds before it was purchased and, and moved to D.C. So I had lots of experience with varying uh, types of presentations with them. The first one that I did, um, 2009, was a solo presentation, and that one would have required very little uh, practice and rehearsal because I was doing something that I decided I was going to do something that existed, and they and I presented something that existed to them, and they were happy with that, right? So that would have been 
you know, a few hours of me just kind of running through the material, um, re- you know, remembering it, memorizing it, making sure I refresh myself and then putting it in my body again and then pushing myself to find some some new ways of presenting it, um, something that would keep it fresh and new. I always tell people if you, you know, whenever you're doing something and you want to keep it from feeling canned, do so, you know, force yourself to do something different in the presentation because then your your body and your mind will go, oh, crap, we don't know what's about to happen even. So let's be present. And then the audience will say, oh, he looks like he's present because, you know, so we don't know what's about to happen. And you create that sense of presence in the room. So those are the kinds of things that I'll do during that kind of uh, rehearsal or, or practice. And then, you know, in classic Seku form, I scrapped it at the last minute and I said, I want to create something new for Ted Med. This is my inaugural <laughs> Ted Med. I'm going to do something all new. And so the damn poet in me, and there's always a battle between my writer and my and my presenter, you know, and, and my writer uh, or my poet is always like hogging all the, the, the time. And then he gives a, a, a script to my, my actor or my presenter and it's like, now go make this brilliant, you know. <laughs> and the actor's like, I only got 10 minutes to rehearse this. So that's kind of what happened. And I did that. And so I was very fragile on stage. I I was barely memorized. I had to pull out all of my master memorization techniques, you know, the mess rehearsal and owning the room and all these different techniques that I use uh, to help memorize dense amounts of content very quickly. I probably memorized that entire, like, you know, 15, 18 minute talk in in, uh, 24 hours. Um, and you know, and that's that's a poetic presentation, mind you. So it's not a lot of just talking off the cuff. It's very, you know, couplets and rhyming and rhythms and all of that. And uh, and then the second presentation that I did was with my creative partner that you're talking about, Steve Connell, a brilliant, brilliant poet and actor who uh, partners with me on on, on multiple presentations, and uh, we've been working together for several years. And uh, so we did the same. We did 2000. We did basically three TED Meds after that together on varying topics. And then the last TED Med, and so that was a tremendous amount of rehearsal with him because he and I had this amazing sort of on-stage telepathy where, you know, I can start a, start a sentence, forget my line, and he can just pick up and finish it seamlessly. Um, and so our rehearsal, we're able to lean on that. But be, as you said, like there's incredible timing with us, and so that's where the rehearsal comes for us is being able to make sure that we – um, are mastering the timing and that we also are not, uh, that we're being present with each other but not throwing each other off, you know, and strong enough in our material. And then the last one was, uh, the last segment that I did was, if you saw it, was um, a really powerful and emotional one about heart disease and my father passing and my family's history with it. And Ted May said, we want you to do something that um, is a creative collision where we're going to put all the different speakers with other speakers and people are going to, you know, push themselves into new spaces, not just a doctor talking about the same old thing. And I was like, great, we're all going to do this. This is awesome. And then turns out, like, I was one of the few people <laughs> that actually took up the challenge. You know, again, that's the warrior in me, right? So I'm, like, down for the fight. And, you know, then everybody else just kind of did the same old thing. And I was like, well, I'm the only person that put that took up the challenge. So I basically paired myself with a tap dancer. Uh, but then my flight got canceled. I missed my TED Med presentation. They had to move me from Wednesday to Friday. The tap dancer could no longer do it. And so I flew in Thursday night, and I rehearsed for about two or three hours with a new tap dancer and then I was on stage that next morning with someone that I'd only had three hours of rehearsal with the day before. So it came off brilliantly, but, you know, again, it shows like the, the importance of a speaker thinking like a performer and putting that time in in advance to actually prepare the same way that, a, that an actor or a dancer would. There's a really great quote that I love. If you want to learn something, read about it. 
If you want to understand something, write about it. If you want to master something, teach it. Uh, and that's an endeavor that you're taking on in, in helping other people find that poetic voice, embrace it, and deliver it. Tell me about this endeavor that you're taking. Absolutely. So uh, I think that's a great quote. I love that one as well. And it's absolutely right. I mean, when I, you know, if you look at my career, I have a successful speaking career. Um, I, you know, I speak regularly to crowds of, I don't know, 300 to 18,000 people. My, my clients are the leading conference, conferences and, and companies in the world, Google and TedMed, General Mills, Apple, Nike, et cetera, et cetera. And I created my own category of speaking called Poetic Voice. So, you know, I've, I've mastered this art of speaking, but I never actually wanted to be a speaker and I never trained as a speaker. Um, I, uh, I always thought, you know, inspirational speaking was kind of cheesy, to be honest, initially. I thought, you know, it was like a bunch of gurus with the three steps to this and five steps to that. And I was like, <laughs> I don't really get it. It doesn't move me. Right. But it was only when I found my unique access to it where I could be myself and a, a way to be myself within the industry that I was able to authentically be empowered by it and thus empower others through poetic voice. And so the same thing was true with with uh, teaching. You know, I never desired to really be a speaker trainer, but but uh, two things happened. One is I realized that I wasn't serving the world um, fully. You know, I was I was inspiring people. I was telling people stories for them, um, but I wasn't giving them the techniques to go out and influence their audiences themselves and empower them to become that dynamic orator and influencer. Um, and I had enough people coming to me saying, you know, how do you do that? How do you do that? I don't understand you do that. And I'd be like, oh, that's just my magic. It's just my unique gift or genius, you know. And then I kind of started to realize that there is a point at which the magic ends and the mastery begins. And my mastery was in performance. And that's when I that's when I realized that that was also my unique access point for teaching, you know, that. I wasn't trained as a speaker, but I was trained as a performer, and I've made my career applying performance techniques to business stages. And that's what I could teach entrepreneurs and executives and, and other leaders and influencers is how to learn from rock stars in order, be, in order to become a rock star speaker. And so that was ultimately what, what inspired me and really got me pumped up to create a system of, of teaching speaking and training speaking that says if you want to learn, you know, you can learn – the same speaking techniques, I mean, there's a million people that can teach you that and how to plant your feet and, you know, what to do with your voice and how to, you know, t tell the, how to deliver your content and how to show, you know, uh, how, to, how to look like an authority and all of those things. Place your hands here, point to the sky in these ways and so forth. Um, but then you end up looking like a cookie cutter of all the same speakers that are on the stage with you. Um, I stand out on every stage that I'm, that I touch. And that's because of my performance training. And so I wanted to teach people how to stand out, how to learn from outside of their industry in order to stand out in their industry by learning the techniques of master performers, actors, dancers, comedians, etc., and taking those techniques that rock star performers use and applying them to your investor meeting, to your boardroom meeting, to your to your staff and team meeting, to your book tour, to your hell, your PTA meeting. I don't really care, you know, any stage you touch, I want you to be mightier on it. And that's what led me to sort of create the speaker training system and to and to move into the space to help others empower their voice and um, quote make your voice mighty. I don't know where I got that from, but that's pretty good. <laughs> 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 that one down. I know, right? 
I like that. I've I've learned that my my style of delivery ranges anywhere between TED Talk and less energized youth pastor. Um, that's quite the range. Um, do you? What are your day of practices? You know, like do you? Do you run through right before? Do you like to like? I heard one person, James Altucher, um, said that when before he goes on stage, he likes to watch ten minutes of stand-up comedy to sort of like get just to get his brain right, you know, to get, and to be in a more positive mood. Do you have anything like that that you do sort of the hour before the day of? Yeah, yeah, that's what, I love that question because people really underestimate and undervalue that, you know, the pre-grant, the pre-show time, right? The pre-game rituals, right? So I call them rock star rituals and it's actually, it's an entire lesson in my stage, my curriculum, in my, in my speaker training curriculum where I just get people to stop. Everyone's so eager to get on the stage, right? Get on stage, get on stage. We, I want to learn about what you do on the stage. What about on the stage? And I'm like, yeah, but most of the things that, um, inhibit your power, most of the things that, uh, uh, defeat your optimal performance, they started long before you stepped on the stage. So that's when you need to start your preparation. And by preparation, then most people hear, oh, yeah, I'm prepared. I've prepared my material. You know, that's where the executives and business folks especially, their mind goes to practicing and preparing simply means working on the material, you know, rehearsing the words of the speech, practicing the slides, perfecting all of that, right? And, you know, I always say, again, if you're thinking like a performer, if you, if you want to perform your speech and get the effect of a performance from your audience, then let's just examine performance for a moment. If you go, to a, if you go backstage, Tim, to, to a dance concert and you're backstage before the, before the ballet begins, what do you see the dancers doing? Stretching. Stretching, warming up, pointing their toes, right? Uh, uh, putting the movement in their body, right? If you go to a, 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 a music concert, you know, people are, are me, 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 vocal warm-ups, right? They're practicing, they're warming up their vehicle, their, their, their instrument. You go to an acting, uh, a play or something, backstage, they're all, um, you know, not just rehearsing the script, but they're rehearsing their blocking, they're rehearsing their beat, their emotion, their, you know, Theophilus Thistle, the unsuccessful Thistle Sifter, while sifting a sieve, they're doing all these vocal techniques to warm up their instrument, to optimize their performance. You go to a speaking event, dude, what do you see speakers doing? They're sitting there, right, drinking cold water <laughs> yeah. at the table, hobnobbing with people, you know, networking. And then they, they maybe they're walking backstage a little bit pacing, kind of running through their lines again because that's what they value the most, and that's it. And so I, I created sort of these rock star rituals and get people to think about their rock star ritual by actually – um, having you think of the rituals of presenters and performers. And I actually had a bunch of performer friends of mine from beatboxers to DJs to break dancers to actors to, you know, world-class cellists to, you know, all of it, all of them uh, send in what their rock star rituals are. And they're amazing, the types of things that they do to center themselves spiritually, uh, their body, their, their emotions, their mind. It's amazing. So one of my favorite is my personal favorite is I tend to uh, I tend to pull back the curtain and I have a conversation with my audience, right? So I pull back, if I'm sitting backstage, um, I will pull back the curtain and I will look at the folks in the front row, in the second row, the third row. I'll look at both sides of the stage. I'll watch them watching the person that comes on before me or sitting there having conversations with themselves before the event starts or something. And I'll begin rehearsing my speech 
as if I'm delivering it to that person. I'll look at a woman and start talking to her. Look at another man and I'll start delivering the speech to him, right? And the reason is because I don't want the first time that I create a connection with my audience to be when I step on stage. I want to, I want to uh, create that connection in advance so that, in a sense, the stage is already warmed up. It's almost like stepping into the home of a friend versus a stranger. You know, you step into the home of a friend, you know, hey, how you doing? We already know each other. We're comfortable. We're cool. Let's get, let's get on with it. I don't have to warm us up. Step onto the stage with strangers and there's this sort of awkward beginning, right? And so I also don't want to be thrown by, you know, if a guy is sleeping in the front row or if somebody's on her phone in, in the second row or this person in front of me is wearing some crazy outfit, I don't want any of these distractions to throw me off. So I create that connection um, and, and establish that relationship with them in advance through my material. And that way they're both one. And then there's a lot of things that I do in advance before I even show up to the venue. I treat from the moment that I wake up, uh, you know, as as a speech optimization period, you know. And so I'm making sure that whatever I put in my body, you know, whatever food, whatever um, hydration, supplements, you know, stretching my body, warming myself up, getting my blood flowing, mindfulness, centering, um, centering my emotions, thinking about things that make me joyful or that give me the energy that I want to have on stage. If it's aggression, if it's love, if it's joy, whatever that is, I tap into things that give me those emotions. I always have a cheerleader call with my wife where she cheers me on and lets me know you're about to go out there and kill it. You know, bring home that standing ovation, baby. You know, all these things that are part of my rock star ritual to help me step on stage and perform like a rock star. How great was that first standing ovation? <laughs> the only thing better than the first standing ovation was the last. <laughs> yeah. The it first is. standing ovation, it really is. It's powerful. It, and when you realize that you did that, when you realize that you have the ability to command a room, to crescendo in that way, it is intoxicating. My first time out. As I was turning off stage, in my peripheral, I could see that the audience began standing. <laughs> and having that on your first time out is a huge confidence booster. Absolutely. That in no way that, – and that was a middle-of-the-road performance as my – you know, like that yeah. wasn't my worst. It definitely wasn't my best. But – even when I didn't perform well, it reminded me. No, no, no. I have. I am capable of of uh, better performances. That's right. If anybody in the audience, I know that you have a program you're setting up. You got a webinar that that you're that you're setting up. Um, if anybody's interested in that, they're like, man, I want this guy to lead me to the to these kinds of things. How can they do that? Yeah, happy happy to help. Um, and that's that's you know, I tell you, as great as it is getting my standing ovations and I'm and I I'll admit I'm a bit of a standing ovation snob I'll admit like you know don't give me a a, a front of the room standing ovation you know don't give me a trickling standing ovation like <laughs> my wife asked me did you get the standing o I only count the one where you know everyone got up together they leapt to their feet or if it started from the back of the room cuz the back of the room then they can't you know they're not standing up just because the person in front of you is uh is standing up and so sure and so, uh, so you know, I, that's that's a that's a joyful experience for me. But the bigger joy is getting my students their first standing ovations. And I swear, since I started this program, having people call me and say, "I cannot believe that I just did a few of 
you know, I just re restructured my speech with a couple of your techniques and I repra I, I, I practice my communication calibrators or I, I listened to the body telling lesson and lesson and I started putting my, my, my stories into my body or whatever. And I got my first standing ovation like that joy is incredible. And it reminds me of the feeling I would get when I was a fifth grade teacher and I would take someone from, you know, a D to an A and you'd work with them and they didn't believe that they could do it. They didn't see a, a see the possibility for them. And, you know, and then they, they, they achieved it. And that's still the same if you're if you're a grown up trying to step on stage in front of people and believe that you can be yourself and be authentic and be engaging and tell your story and not have it pull away from your credibility or your authority or your title or your position, but in fact, amplify all of those. And so that's what I'm teaching people. Um, and the webinar you mentioned is called Rockstar Secrets for Public Speakers. Rockstar Secrets for Public Speakers. And uh, I, have, I created this program uh, about two years ago, but I never, and I sold it at some conferences and I've been training executives uh, who have hired me privately to do some one-on-one -on -one coaching with them and so forth, but I never launched it formally because, partially because I've just been so busy on the road speaking. And now this is the first time that I'm just stopping, being still, sort of, and I'm, uh, and I'm, and I'm actually launching this program publicly so that more people can access, can have access to being mighty on every stage that they touch. So the webinar happens on September 27th of this year, 2007, 2016, September 27th. Mark your calendars. Um, and, uh, I, I think you, you have like a link or something, right? That we can, we can make sure that they have for it. Yeah, there will be uh, in the show notes for this episode. It'll be linked there, and I will uh, make sure that we also uh, tweet it out to anybody that follows us uh, on Twitter and Facebook okay. as well. Of course, great, yeah. great, great. Yeah, and, and just make sure you guys sign up. Just if you if you're interested in learning more about this, you know, if you're still not you're still on the fence, if you think that you that you're a, that you're a great speaker, but you know that you can be more powerful, more dynamic, uh, more compelling. Uh, if you think that you're an okay speaker, but um, you want to become a great speaker, you want to be able to step in, step onto a bigger stage and be uh, step in front of bigger audiences. You know, if you if you're more of a breakout speaker, speaker, but you want to become a main stage speaker, you know, um, if you got a book tour, if you got investor meetings, if you're a business person that just knows that you need to lead people in a more dynamic way then just come check out the webinar, and I'll share some more of these tips and these uh, techniques with you. I'm going to pour into you a lot. I, I really believe in just making sure that people walk away with maximum value and that I don't have time for on this podcast, but I'm looking forward to on the webinar. Just pour it into you to give you ways to become, uh, to just make sure that you know how to engage any audience, you know, ignite your story, and then truly be your authentic self on any stage that you touch. Rockstar Secrets for Public Speakers, September 27th. Come holler at your boy, and I'll help you out. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. This has been great. I love talking to people as inspiring as yourself. And you did not uh, – you followed through, uh, even though I let you down the first time, and I appreciate <laughs> that, and you, you, you brought your best. Uh, and I know my audience appreciates it as well. We are following you on Twitter, at Seku Andrews. That's S-E-K-O-U Andrews. And uh, your domain is the same, thankyouandrews.com. Sir, thank you so much. It was great. Oh, my pleasure, man. Really excited. To all you warriors out there fighting to make your voice mighty, I look forward to being able to contribute to, contribute to your growth and to uh, get mighty with you. So let's get mighty together. Thank you for taking the time to listen. 
Be sure to head over to LockAndLoadJava.com using promo code FUELFORWARRIORS for a discount on your purchase. Also head over to LawsonEntertainment.com for more of my programming. Stay strong and stay motivated.